Lovely. All right. Let's take our Bibles this evening. Let's go back to James, okay? James chapter 5 is where we will be. And we're just a few verses, just a few more messages from being done in James, in the book of James. And if you're glad about that, do not say amen and do not tell me if you are, all right? Don't want to hurt my feelings, do you? I'm so, you know, emotional and all. But anyway, but uh, we are coming quickly to an end of the book of James. And I ask it again to continue to help me pray about where to go to next, which book of the Bible or subject of study uh, to, to go through. I've got a couple things in mind, but just trying to ask the Lord to help solidify that and which direction to go, all right? But anyway, but as we come back to James chapter number 5, just keep in mind, again, the 30,000-foot view of this book that James is writing to Jewish believers. And uh, these believers have largely been scattered from their homes at this time due to the cruel persecution that's, been taking, that's taken place against them, largely from the political and religious leaders uh, of, of the day. But they have been scattered abroad. And so as we look at the book of James, just understand that he's writing to people who are hurting, who are struggling, who are suffering, confused, no doubt, and they just need some help. And so Pastor James does just that. Sits down, pen in hand, an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and begins to instruct them and encourage them through a terribly difficult time of the church in this first century. All right? So keep that in mind as we go to, and look at this book together and as you study it on your own and read through it on your own. Just keep all that uh, history in, uh, in, in mind. All right? But as we come back to James chapter number 5, we're going to be in one verse this evening. Verse number, verse number 12. And before we read it and consider it and look at it this evening, I want to keep in mind a couple things surrounding uh, this verse. And first, keep in mind is this. We have looked in verses 7 through 11, uh, past few, uh, past couple at least, Wednesdays, and we noticed in these verses a word and phrase that, has, or that was repeated. Uh, we find the word patience repeated five times in verses 7 through 11. And, of course, we took a look at how God uses uh, troubled times to cultivate patience within our lives. And then last time we looked at this phrase that's repeated in those verses, the coming of the Lord. And so we took a look at uh, when that will happen or, or rather what surrounds that happening when, when the Lord will return. But he says it two times in, in, those, in those verses. And then as you skip on and you read from verse 13 down through 18, you see another repeated phrase or repeated word and really subject uh, that's repeated within those verses. And it has to do with prayer and the different aspects of that. And we'll look at that, uh, Lord willing, next, next Wednesday, all right, the power of prayer. But when you look at the verses before verse 12 and you look at the verses that come after verse 12, one may think that's a little bit out of place and it's a little bit random. To be quite honest, I, I had that first opinion, okay, as I was reading through it, especially considering patience and the coming of the Lord, and you come to verse 12, and you're like, okay, how does that tie into it all? But it looks like, at first glance, it seemed random or out of place. I mean, what does, we'll see in a minute, what does uh, taking oaths or, or swearing in the name of something or speaking yes and no to, to something, giving those type of answers, what does that really have to do with patience? 
and cultivating that. What really does that have to do with the coming of the Lord? Or as you tie it into the next verses, what does that really have to do with, with, with prayer? I mean, it doesn't seem necessarily to flow with everything that's surrounding verse number 12. So at first glance, it could seem out of place. But I want you to know it is not out of place because our Bible is perfect and it's in its proper order, all right? It's not out of place. But what James is doing, as we come to verse number 12 in the concluding chapter of this book, he is beginning his conclusion of this epistle. And in his conclusion, he is making several concluding commands, which is quite regular uh, habit of the uh, New Testament writers. Of course, the most prominent uh, con commanding conclusion, if you will, if I can say it that way, that we would recognize would be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when Paul says this in verse 16 through 22 when he says these words, right, these commands. He says, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesies, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. So anyway, just know that this is quite um, regular of the New Testament writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to come to a conclusion but fill them with pointed commands. And that's what James was doing. As he starts his conclusion, he is giving some bold and yet compassionate commands. And here's one of them. Look at verse number 12 with me, if you will. As the Bible says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Our fathers, we look to your word tonight. I pray that you to help us to understand it and apply it to our life, that we will leave here better, challenged, and Lord, even changed. Help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so from this verse, let's unpack this verse a little bit and then draw it all back together at the end for a very simple and practical and yet powerful application that I, that I've, that I see at least, all right? So, uh, so first thing I want you to notice from this verse in verse number 12 is this. Number one, I want you to see the importance of this verse, all right? The importance of this verse. Now, <clears throat> when you begin to read this verse, James uh, uses some very uh, preeminent wording when he says this phrase. Look at it with me in verse 12 when he says, but above all things. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this phrase, above all things, this wording, at least for me, heightens to what he's about to say. This wording gets my ears in gear and my heart ready to receive and listen to what he has to say because this phrase above all things tells me that I had better pay attention to what he's about to say. Now, that's not to say the things he said before this or after this is not important. We all know that it is, but this tells me that I better pay, pay attention. It's almost like when your teacher or professor or whatever, when you were in school, would say, now, it would do you well to take note what I'm about to write on the board because it might, it might be on the test. We know what that means, right? That means you had better get your pen out, your Sharpie out or whatever, make it bold and highlight it because it's going to be on the test, right? And it's important. You better pay attention. 
And so that's kind of what I'm seeing here. He's using this phrase to get our attention. But why? Why would he use this phrase? Well, again, keep in mind, this is only one verse here. And seemingly by itself would be very easy. It would, because I did it. <laughs> and I'm not saying you're like me, all right? But, but it's easy to do. It's easy to just pass over, see it as kind of insignificant, and tie that verse to the end of the last several verses and just shove it into that last message somehow and move on. It's easy to do that. But listen, this verse is far from insignificant, especially as you dive into it a little bit and do a little bit of digging. Because listen, James, once again, from this verse, listen, he is pointing to an area of our lives that can be a huge struggle on different levels for many different people, including including believers. And you say, what area is that? Well, it's the area of this, the area of our speech, of the things that we say. Because listen, in this verse, James once again points to an area of our lives that we can struggle with. Our speech, our expressive language. And in one form or another, by the way, James talks about our tongue or our speech in each chapter of this book. And of course, he gives an entire chapter to the tongue itself, but he's doing so. Why? Because the things that we say matter. They matter to God and they should matter to us. And so, see in this moment, the very beginning, the importance of what he's about to say, because that's to deal with what we, with what we say. So when I see this phrase, above all things, it tells me I cannot afford to miss what he's about to say. I better pay close attention. So number one, quickly see the importance of the verse. Number two, I want you to see this. I want to see the individuals of this verse. We're moving quite quickly, all right? So, so take notes fast. But number two, see the individuals of this verse. Now, it'll be good again to take note of who James is addressing, of who the audience and to whom he is writing, all right? He makes it plain. When he says this in verse 12, but above all things, my brethren. Now, why, again, is that important to know? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, it lets us know that James is not just pointing just to anyone. He's not pointing the finger or whatever to just any individual. He's not pointing to a lost world and their struggle and what they do. He's not pointing to unsaved people and their speech with their oaths and such. No, he's pointing to believers. He is pointing to Christians. Listen, he's pointing to the church and letting them know, hey, look, we can be doing these things. We can be saying things that we ought not to be saying and we need, listen, to be blameless in this area of our lives. Again, because what we say in our words, they do matter because we struggle with this from time to time too. Not just lost people, but saved people can as well. And then it's important to know these individuals because, listen, number two, James is about to lay down a very heavy command. He really is. And he's not doing so from a place of, of condescension. Rather, he's coming from a place of, of compassion, you see. It is absolutely possible to lay down the truth in love. And that's what he's doing. 
as he says, my brethren. Because when he says, my brethren, he is showing his humility as he identifies with them. Uh, yes, brethren, as in he, he himself was a Jewish man. And so these individuals were Jewish here, okay? Jewish believers, the majority of them, no doubt. And so he's identifying with them on that, on that front. But he's also identifying with them on the spiritual front, meaning they're saved people. He identifies with them, with their tradition, with their struggle, with their speech. Understand who he's writing to. He's writing to believers, to Christians. Then number three, see this. I want to see the indication. All right, now we're getting to it. Getting to the meat of it, all right? I want to see the indication of this verse, meaning what is this verse indicating? Well, notice with me. This phrase, look at verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, here we go, buckle up. Swear not. Now, when we see this phrase, swear not, some folks get the idea that he is indicating or pointing to the fact of this. Swear not, meaning don't cuss or don't use foul language. But that's not what he's getting at. That's not what he's indicating here. This swear here does not mean speaking uh, swear words or, or cussing. Rather, this word swear, he's talking about an oath or, or swearing an oath, like a promise kind of thing. That's what this word swear is here. He's not indicating foul language, right? But on a side note, you know I'm going there. On a side note, though it is not talking about swearing as in cussing, understand that does not mean it's okay to cuss and use foul language. Now, I know some folks would disagree with me. Even believers would find no issue with spewing out foul language from their mouths. Look, <clears throat> I saw a t-shirt sometime back, I don't know, a couple years ago I guess now. But on that t-shirt it said this, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Now, I know they're trying to be funny, and maybe think it's a little cute, and maybe even harmless, but can I just be blunt with you? That ain't harmless at all. In my opinion, that ain't cute. You say, why? Preacher, don't you think you're just being a little dramatic there? <laughs> no, because I think it paints a terrible picture, and um, I think that, that phrase or that t-shirt or whatever, I think it does more harm than good because it sends the wrong message. You see, when it sends the wrong message of who our God is, a message of it doesn't matter what you do in your life, doesn't matter what you say, what comes out of your mouth, it doesn't matter. Well, that message, well, you're not going to find that in the Bible. And what we say does matter. And it doesn't line up with Scripture, that, that phrase, I, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. That just don't line up with the Word of God. So the Bible says this, Ephesians 4, 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You know, I, um, I came across uh, this passage of Scripture, and uh, listened, I was actually listening to somebody preach on it, and I was like, man, that's really good. I've got to share that one day. But as he was talking about the denial of Peter, of course, denying Peter, rather, denying the Lord, he asked this question. He said, do you know what distinguished his last denial, distinguished him from the rest of the disciples and really him from Jesus? 
You see, you know what made that distinction as he tried to vehemently say, I'm not one of his? He said this in Matthew 26, verse 73 through 75. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee. And then began he, that's Peter, then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Listen, to drive home, listen, for Peter to drive home his denial to those that stood by and accused him of being a disciple. As he stood by that fire that day, warming his hands, listen, to drive home his denial, Peter used foul language to distinguish himself from knowing Jesus. So, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little, it's no big deal. Listen, it is. Because who are you pointing to? So I just want to encourage you today of the fact that cussing should not be in the vocabulary of a believer. And surely as believers, we can find different adjectives and adverbs in our vocabulary to describe nouns and other parts of speech other than using foul language. Surely we're smarter than that. All right, end rabbit trail, let's move on, okay? But the phrase here, swear not, is not indicating just some kind of cussing, all right? What is the indication? Well, one of the biggest indications I believe as I see here is really James is pointing to a deep problem in humanity itself. Um, a, a ingrained sinful trait that all of humanity struggles with and has a time with. You know what it is? It starts with the L, ends with the I, lying. <laughs> That's what he's getting at. You see, fallen humanity are natural born liars. Let me ask you, parents, have your kids ever lied to you? Just two of you? Two, okay, my, my, my wife's shaking her head up and down really fast, all right? Our kids are sinners, just so you know, okay? <laughs> precious, they're precious sinners, but sinners nonetheless, okay? But you'd have to agree with that too, parents. Your kids have lied to you, all right? Now let me ask you this. Did you teach them that? Did you teach them how to lie? You mean they came out of the womb lying? <laughs> Man, I'll tell you. Like I said, precious little sinners, all right? Listen, lying is ingrained in every human being. We are natural-born liars, but it's not just the kids that lie. No, parents lie too. Don't look at me like that. You know it's true. You've lied to your kids. Can I tell you a story myself? All right, good. Okay, everybody likes to hear a story about what the preacher messed up on, right? Anyway. So we was going down the road, and uh, we used to live in Eddieville, and it was during the summer, and uh, the, the, the um, natural, or see, what was it? No, it's the organic vine of poison ivy began to grow, all right? And uh, my kids love to roll down the windows going down our driveway or, or, or drive to get to the house and try to reach out and grab leaves, you know, to pull them off a tree. And uh, I'd get close enough to it so they can do that, yada, yada. But I noticed this vine, and I saw Neely reach out her hand and grab it. I'm like, oh, and I swerved a little bit, and she may have hit her head on the side of the door, and I don't know, but anyway... You've done that too, and you've done it on purpose. I know you have. But as she grabbed that vine, I'm like, oh, no. 
if she gets poison ivy like I get poison ivy, it's going to be awful. I said, baby, you can't reach out and grab that vine that's poison ivy. You know what's going to happen if you get poison ivy? They're going to give you a shot in your eyes, a shot in your ears, and shots all over the place. You, you're going to be eat up with poison ivy. And about 30 seconds later, I hear, and I'm like, why is she crying? What's wrong with her? And of course, my wife is she's still laughing. She knows what I'm talking about. She began to laugh. And she's like, you did it? I said, did what? She said, you told her. You're going to get a shot in your eyes and a shot in your ears. And I was like, oh, but I was, oh. <laughs> Listen, you've lied to your kids too. All right? That might have been a little harmless, I get it. But still, on black and white paper, okay, it is still a lie, all right? It was. So listen, kids lie, yeah, parents lie, oh yeah, everybody lies. Wives can lie to their husbands, husbands can lie to their wives, especially when they're fishing. They say, last cast, 20 casts later, it's <laughs> still fishing, all right? You can lie. Employees lie to their employers and vice versa. Of course, we know politicians lie to get elected, and they continue to lie to stay in office anyway. Governments lie to people, people lie to the government. The news outlets lie, and most of social media is built upon a lie because we know that is not your real complexion, Janet. Everybody has that same filter on their phone, okay? And you say, who's Janet? I don't know. I just pulled out and I was thin air. But anyway, we know that lying is ingrained in the world in which we live. But we shouldn't be surprised at that. You know why? Because the God, small g, of this world, who is the devil, is the father of it. The Bible says in John 8, 44, Ye are their father the devil. This is Jesus preaching to the Pharisees. Ye are their father the devil, and the lust of your father will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of the devil. The God of this world is a liar. He's the father of lies, and since he is a liar, that means all he can do is lie. Why? Because that's who he is. That's his character, and that's all he can do. I'm thankful that our God's a God of truth. That's his character. Therefore, it's all he can do is be truth. Our God's a God of love, and that's his character. Therefore, it's all he can do is love. Look, the character points to who he is and what he does, and the, the God of this world is a liar, and that's all he can do. So, since he's a liar and a father of it, is there any wonder why the world in which he is the God of is full of dishonesty and lies? So the indication I see here when he says, swear not, is pointing to a basic dishonesty of all mankind. And it's because of that, look, it's because of dishonesty and lies that leads people to impose or force oaths on others so that they will be truthful to keep their promises. It's called contracts. <laughs> That's why. So with that understanding of why James is saying what he's saying in verse number 12 of swear not because of the embedded dishonesty in all of humanity, we see this lastly quickly. We see the instruction of it. Look again at verse number 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but 
Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Now keep in mind that the majority of believers to whom James is writing, originally writing to at least, were Jewish believers. The majority of believers that were, that were in the church were Jewish people. All right, The majority in this first century, the majority. And uh, he even began the, this letter this way, addressing that fact. James 1.1, James, a servant of God, of Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So he knows who he's writing to. And so with the Jewish mind in mind, with that understanding, James knew that these individuals, these Jewish people, had developed a system of swearing oaths, all right? And this oath swearing was so intertwined in who they were and who they are in their culture and other things that, that streamed from the Old Testament where they would swear by heaven or swear by earth or swear by Jerusalem, the holy city, or swear by their very own lives. Listen, just to, to make an oath of, uh, let, let's just take, for instance, to pay something back. They might say something like this, well, well I, I swear on my very life that I will pay it back. Or, or, or I swear on earth, right, or whatever. Uh, they would make some kind of oath like that, like a modern-day pinky promise, cross my heart, hope to die kind of thing, right? Some kind of oath like that. These individuals, these Jewish individuals had developed some kind of system of oath taking so much so that they brought it with them after they got saved into the church. They brought that cultural idea with them. But James says this, there's a better way. There's a better way. Look at it, verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Now, some folks may think as we read this <clears throat> that maybe James is getting at some kind of uh, strict uh, prohibition of some kind against of, uh, oath-taking. He is strictly against it. Now, I don't think that's the intent of this instruction, okay? Besides, there's many times you see through Scripture of oath-taking that would be necessary. And even in our modern-day culture today where it's necessary, such as when you're under oath in court. You go to testify in court or whatever, they put you under oath, right? And it would do you well to tell the truth. As I would say, I ain't going to perjure myself with nobody, all right? You don't want to do that. You're under oath or when officers take an oath to protect and serve, when soldiers do the same and so forth and so on. Look, it's okay. There are times when it's necessary. So he's not, not prohibiting oath taking. But within the context, what he's getting at in this moment, he's simply doing this. Listen, he's echoing a better way when it comes to interaction between believers and as believers with others. He's echoing this. What Jesus said on the mount, on the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, Jesus speaking, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, neither by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, meaning your own life. Because thou canst not make one hair white or black. 
But let your communication be yea, yea. Nay, nay. For whatsoever is, is more than these cometh of evil. Then look at our text. Look, look compare it to this text as what James says. But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. Let your yea be yea, your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Look, as James says this in verse number 12, he's just reiterating, listen to what Jesus said one day, and that is just simply this, just have a straightforward, honest, true speech about yourself, where your yes is actually yes, and where your no is actually a no. Listen, people of integrity have no need to swear some elaborate pinky promise type of oath in order to prove to others of their trustworthiness. Nor the person of character swear falsely in order to deceive others. Listen, believers should be characterized as individuals who speak the truth, who keep their word. They should be characterized by a pattern of honesty and not a pattern of broken promises. I think, and I believe, that's what James is getting at here. To be people of integrity. Let your yes mean it. Let you know the same. So we unpacked a little bit of this verse and different elements, but let me bring it all to a very simple conclusion, and I think a very practical application, all right? Again, as Christians, as believers, as people who claim to know Jesus as our Savior, there should be enough character, integrity, honor, honesty, sincerity, that, that a simple yes with a firm handshake should be enough of, of confirmation of our honesty. That's what it should be. That's how we should treat each other. And that's how believers should treat everybody else. Let your yea be yea, your nay be nay. Be honest, have truthful speech, be people, be a person 